Zalana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to the podcast. You are listening to episode 64 of Never Not Knitting. As always, thank you for joining me. I have a fun and out-of-the-ordinary episode planned for you today. I've been receiving lots of great personal knitting stories from listeners all around the world, and I thought it would be fun to dedicate this episode just to these stories. As I keep saying, hearing others' personal knitting stories is my favorite part of this podcast. I've always enjoyed talking about knitting and listening to others talk about their knitting as well. Even way back when I first learned to knit, I just really enjoyed listening to other knitters share their stories. And that's one thing I really miss about working at a yarn shop. It was fun meeting people and seeing the same group of knitters day after day, week after week, hearing about their lives, their knitting experiences, their projects, their progress, just all of their stories. I found constant entertainment and learning how one knitter's delicately newly hand-knit sweater accidentally made it into the washing machine with a load of laundry. Oh, and also a tennis shoe. Or how another knitter's project stretched to unbelievable proportions when they blocked it. Or how yet another knitter spent so much time and so much energy and careful planning picking out just the perfect yarn and the perfect project for a family member just to send it to them and never hear a word about it in return. These were the stories that myself and others loved to cringe at. Working at the shop, I heard about a lot of knitting disasters, but I also heard about a lot of knitters' triumphs as well, and I saw how recounting all of these experiences brought knitters together. This is the same thing that I wanted to accomplish with my podcast. Now, I started the podcast back in 2008 and began sharing some of my personal knitting stories with all of you. Way back in episode two, for instance, you might recall the story of me cutting up a sweater in the middle of the night, just certain that the pattern was all wrong. And once I cut it and painstakingly sewed it back together, I realized that it was actually me that was wrong, and I shouldn't have actually cut the sweater in the first place. So there's that. And then, of course, in episode three, I talked about some of the first sweaters that I've ever knit, including the fabulously stunning cap-sleeved bulky pullover with three million yarn tails hanging from it. That was a stunner. And then shortly thereafter, although I've continued to sprinkle my stories throughout the podcast here and there, I began featuring knitting stories from all of you, from all of you listening, as well as other podcasters, designers, and some yarn dyers as well. I've enjoyed it immensely, and I know that many of you listening feel the same way too. So I'm hoping that you'll enjoy this special episode today. This first story that I'm going to share today was contributed by Charlene Brown, and this is her story entitled, 
Luna and her babies. I love to give my hand-knit items as gifts to my daughter Ariana and her husband, Jordan. Over the years, I have made felted purses for Ariana and hats, scarves, fingerless gloves, and slippers for both Ariana and her husband. They live with two dogs, a Siberian husky named Zadok, a standard poodle named Lala, and two ragdoll cats, Maja and Luna. As any cat owner will tell you, Having two cats can be a never-ending source of entertainment. Often as I am packaging up the knitted items to ship to her in Iowa, I find myself wondering if they will be enjoyed by my daughter as much as they will be by her cats. I have made a couple pairs of French press felted slippers for my daughter, besides too many felted purses to keep count. One day when I was shopping, I found a pair of slippers in a retail store that looked like they were crocheted by hand in a lovely color of deep purple that I was sure Ariana would like. Purple is her favorite color. I purchased these slippers and added them to some other items that I was sending to my daughter. Well, as it turns out, I should have just put those slippers in a separate box just for Luna. Luna has never had any kittens of her own, but once she saw these slippers, she was sure they were her babies. If Ariana wasn't wearing the slippers, she would have to hide them to keep them safe from Luna. She tried placing them in several different locations, sure that each was safe. One particularly imposing spot was even on the top of a very tall wardrobe. She was sure that Luna would not be able to reach them there. No such thing. After a while, my daughter gave in and let Luna have her babies. It was just too heartwarming seeing Luna caring for them, carrying them from place to place, talking to them, and being a very devoted mother to them. My daughter lives in Coralville, Iowa, only a few hundred feet from the Iowa River. The Iowa River feeds into the Mississippi River a little downstream from the area where my daughter lives. In June of 2008, following repeated torrential spring rains, there was terrible flooding of both rivers. It turned out to be the worst natural disaster in the state's history. My daughter, along with all other residents near the river, heard the loud bullhorns with a message coming from a police cruiser. It was telling them that they had to evacuate their home. You can imagine the panic, frustration, and terror of being told you have hours to prepare to move out of your house and take what you can, not knowing if you will have anything remaining after the floodwaters recede. Packing up not only personal belongings, but two dogs and two cats was a blur. My daughter realized that Luna would want her precious babies to come along on this exodus, so finding them was one of the priorities of the anxiety-filled moments. She looked for them, only to find one slipper, not two. This was very unusual that the two babies were not together. Luna would carry one baby at a time, but she would ultimately have them together. There was no more time to look for the missing baby. They had to leave. As my daughter and her husband drove the car away from their house, they drove through some of the shallow floodwaters, but it was deeper than it looked, and the car stalled out. With help of one of their friends, they managed to push their car out of the water and into a parking lot that was on higher ground. Then they had to transfer all of their belongings and pets to their friend's car and finally drive out of their neighborhood. 
My daughter was fortunate that a big-hearted friend of the family owned an apartment building in a nearby town. Thankfully, he had a vacancy. It was wonderful luck that he made the apartment available to my daughter and her husband, along with their pets, on the very night they had to evacuate their home. They were all safe, warm and dry, and once more, they had a place to live during the several months they were forced to stay out of their home. The city had very strict rules about what had to be done to prove that their home was suitable for living in again. Some of the procedures seemed almost punitive for the residents. It kept them out of their home long after the floodwaters receded, but I guess in the long run it was for their own safety. Luna was very sad that she only had one of her babies. She was just not herself. Finally, the great day came when they were able to prove that their house was habitable again and they were given permission to move back into their house. Fortunately, the floodwaters didn't rise above the height of the basement of their house. They had certification to move back home and bring their dogs and cats with them. Humans and pets were elated. All were safe and sound. Except, of course, for one thing, Luna's missing baby. I guess under the circumstances, only one casualty wasn't so bad. When they entered their house with Luna, she immediately disappeared, only to reappear moments later carrying her missing baby, once again reunited. All was finally right with the world, according to Luna. This next story, entitled, Am I an Average Knitter?, was contributed by Stephanie Gordon, or Indigo Dog M.T., on Ravelry. What is average, anyway? Is it a soon-to-be 42-year-old woman, a mother of a 5-year-old daughter with one dog and one cat and one husband? Is it a knitter who lives in northwestern Montana, near Glacier National Park and Whitefish Mountain Ski Resort, who is blessed by four seasons in which to enjoy hand knits? Is an average knitter one who has a six-shelf cabinet that takes up one wall of a small room that is stuffed with yarn and knitting books, not to mention the three overstuffed large binders housing patterns and notes and the baskets of yarn and supplies that are in other areas of the house? I've defined myself as average because I don't spin, dye yarn, or write patterns. In fact, I rarely deviate from a pattern as it is written. I substitute yarns, but that's as far as my adventuring tends to go. It all started with a visit from an aunt from California. She is an avid knitter and quilter, a woman with great taste and style. I was likely in fourth or fifth grade, an only child who could concentrate for long periods of time. Knitting was a perfect fit. I will never forget the pattern she left for me, a crewneck raglan from a Bernat pattern leaflet. I still have it in my binder of patterns. We picked out yarn. Who even carried Red Heart in our small town in those days? That I do not remember. I do remember the yarn, though. Bright, cotton candy, pink acrylic is what I chose. Wow. Julianne showed me the knit stitch after she helped me cast on. I guess I must have learned to purl, too, as the sweater is knit in the stockinette stitch. I knit for hours under her guidance. It wasn't perfect, but I loved the feeling of knitting and quickly picked up the stitches and felt so empowered. Unfortunately, Julianne returned to California, and I was left on my own. We didn't have internet in the mid-1980s. I was soon stuck, so my mom took me to the neighbors because her friend could knit and crochet. The woman took one look at my progress and said, 
Oh, Steffi, you are much too picky. You won't wear this when it's finished. She noticed the lumps, bumps, small holes and such, and suggested gently that we rip it out and she would help me start again. She assured me it would be much smoother the second time around, and I could finish something that I would truly wear. Although, I'll never be certain that a shy child as myself was going to wear such a shockingly pink sweater. My neighbor started to unravel the sweater. Now I call it frogging, as I've matured as a knitter. Rip it, rip it, rip it. She cast on again for me and started to remind me how to knit. I recall crying out, my face likely red, and I was likely fighting back tears of frustration. I said, this doesn't seem right. This isn't how I learned. I don't understand. Well, neither of us knew or understood that there are two common styles of knitting. I had originally been taught to throw, English style, and she was a picker, continental. Without internet, books, or any other way of figuring out the confusion, I gave up, and the yarn sat in the plastic bag in the bottom of my closet until years later it was donated to the local Goodwill. I did, however, keep the needles and pattern. For years I still dreamed of knitting and knew I desired to learn. After college, still before the days of internet and local yarn stores being common, I visited my local Ben Franklin and picked out some wool ease yarn, a blend of wool and acrylic, and boy circular needles. I had a leisure arts knitting pamphlet and taught myself to cast on and started knitting a basic hat. I haven't looked back. Although in those days I only had one project going at a time, there were large breaks between finishing one project and starting another, and I didn't have any form of a stash. I didn't even have access to good wool. Another neighbor of my parents is a truly magnificent knitter. She knits Fair Isle sweaters, hats, mittens, socks, and such. She is very accomplished. I have been fortunate to get tips and teaching from her when I need, and she was the first person to tell me I must knit with wool. In those days, she ordered hers from Canada. After the internet developed and has become an amazing tool for knitters, three local yarn stores that are wonderful have opened in my area, and knitting books have flooded the market. I have been able to figure out many knitting questions and tips on my own. In fact, I now wonder if I am truly an average knitter. As I've taken numerous classes at my local yarn stores, I have jumped into Ravelry with both feet. I have almost 2,000 favorited patterns, a queue of 99 projects, and I belong to 98 groups. I listen to podcasts and have four video casts that I watch out of the corner of my eye while I'm working. I often have three or more projects going at a time. I love car trips, watching movies, and my daughter's various lessons because sitting means knitting time. When does someone move beyond average, or does it really matter? Is it attending a huge fiber festival or events like Stitches? Is it spinning? Is it podcasting? Is it belonging to a fiber or yarn club? Is it being able to knit everything from Fair Isle to lace to cables? Is it knitting complex sweaters, socks, and lace shawls? What moves one beyond average? Is it designing? I'm not sure that it matters as long as the knitter is happy with his or her yarn and needles. I am happy. In fact, I am blessed. I can be found with my vast library of books and interweave magazines. I have a cherished stash where I can see Malabrigo worsted for a sweater, Barocco vintage for a few hats, three skeins of Madeline Tosh for a shawl, Cascade Sierra for a sweater for my daughter, Mountain Colors Barefoot for a shawl, 
Madeline Tosh for hats for my husband and myself, and lots, lots more. I may be an average knitter, or not, but I am touched by fiber or knitting dreams in one way or another on a daily basis, my small slice of heaven on earth. The next personal knitting story that I'm going to share is being brought to you by Catherine Scott from Toronto, Canada, or Cat Go Crazy on Ravelry. And her story is entitled The Butterfly Connection. As a lot of young girls did, I originally learned the basic knit and purl stitches from my grandmother. I made scarves and such as a kid, but never went further than that, and eventually I stopped knitting altogether. I did, however, appreciate the various crafts my grandmother completed over the years, and most of my memories of her involve a pair of knitting needles in her hands. She was the kind of knitter where it just came naturally. She didn't really need a pattern because she had been knitting things all her life. She could fall asleep in a chair mid-row, wake up an hour later, and pick up right off where she left off, without hesitation. She was always knitting sweaters, gloves, and hats, making quilts and matching pajamas for my sisters and I to wear. She was an all-around crafter, was very close with my grandmother, and when she passed away, I was devastated. As my grandfather had passed away a few years earlier, my mother and uncle decided to do an estate sale of everything in the house. They went through the house earmarking what they would keep and what would be sold. The grandchildren were allowed to choose items special to them that they wanted to keep. I took a few trinkets and jewelry that reminded me of my grandmother and then helped set up the other items for sale. Part of my job was to assist in bringing up all of her craft supplies. She had a closet full of material for sewing and quilting as well as cases full of knitting needles and knitting accessories. We priced them and put them out on the table for sale. I moved on to other items, but my mind kept turning. Those knitting needles were calling to me, and inside my heart, I knew I couldn't allow them to be sold. As the estate sale got underway and people started looking around, I was suddenly on my feet and running past this group of Mennonites who were looking over the craft table. Before I knew it, I had grabbed all the knitting needle sets and accessories. My body language screamed, MINE, and no one argued. I hadn't knit since I was a child, and before that moment, I didn't really have any inclination to take it up again. But I couldn't ignore the feeling inside of me that I was supposed to have them. I took them home with me, and there they sat. I probably even forgot about them for a couple months as I mourned the loss of my grandmother and tried to find ways to express what she meant to me. I wanted to do something in her honor. I signed up for volunteer work to do something good, but it didn't fill the hole inside. Then I saw a flyer for the annual Christmas bazaar at my grandmother's church, which she was a founding member of, and I knew what I had to do. In years past, my grandmother had always knit items to donate to this bazaar to help raise money for the church. I would knit something spectacular and donate it in her memory. Only problem was, I'd only knit a few scarves up till then, and I needed to go bigger. At my local yarn shop, I signed up for a beginner's knitting class. We started by practicing the basic knit stitches and then purl stitches. Finally, we graduated up to knitting slippers. If we mastered the slippers, then we were challenged with picking a pattern that we wanted to knit and knitting it for the class, thus teaching us how to read patterns as well as practice our newly mastered knit and purl stitches. I chose a pattern of a zip-up sweater made from white buffalo yarn. The yarn was Canadian, as am I, so I thought it was fitting. I understood that this was a challenging first project, but hey, I was on a deadline. The bazaar was coming up at the end of the year, and I had to master knitting and knit something spectacular before then. What I didn't understand was that unspun wool, as white buffalo yarn was, it's a pain to knit with. I really learned to control my tension with that yarn because if you pulled too hard, it would just fall apart, which it did often. 
Despite the yard, I knit the sweater in record time and arrived at my class the following week with all the pieces knit. My instructor demonstrated how to sew the pieces together, and I was off. I had the sweater done by the end of that class. I have to admit that it felt really good to have my classmates look at me with admiration. I picked up knitting the fastest in the group, and I had knit an entire sweater in a week, while some of them were still working on their slippers. I know that sounds really vain, but it made me feel like maybe I was actually really good at something, and that made me special. It also gave me a connection with my grandmother, something that I was searching for. After the course finished, I felt confident enough to get out there on my own and choose a special project which I would donate to the church bazaar in my grandmother's honor. I looked through a number of patterns before I found the perfect one. Actually, I found the perfect pattern book. It was a baby blanket slash toy pattern book from Patton's for Canadiana Yarn called Patton's Kids Stuff. Since buying that booklet, I have knit every single pattern in it. For the Christmas church bazaar though, I had my heart set on the butterfly blanket. It was a large project with some intricate patterns involved, but I was motivated. Many visits were made to my local yarn shop for help and advice, but I finished, and I finished in time. I was very pleased with the blanket, though I must admit my sewing skills were a bit lacking, and if I were to redo it now, the panels would have been sewn way better. For my second large knitting pattern, though, it was pretty darn good. I had contacted the church in advance to let them know that I had something I wanted to donate in memory of my grandmother. The next time we were in town visiting my uncle, my mom and I made a stop over at the church where I could present them with my beautiful butterfly blanket. It was received with deep appreciation and lots of comments about how my grandmother would have been really proud. They then decided that they wouldn't just sell it. They would feature it as an auction item that people could bid on to win the opportunity to buy. I was really touched by this and really felt that my grandmother would have been proud of me. As I don't live in the same city as my grandmother's church is located, I wasn't present for the actual auction, but apparently there was a lot of bids and the blanket brought in a respectable amount for the church. I couldn't have hoped for anything more. The feeling of accomplishment and that connection I achieved to my grandmother with that blanket has inspired almost a decade of knitting for me. I feel like I've carried on her legacy. My only regret is that I didn't discover my love for knitting back when she was alive, so we could have sat side by side knitting needles in hand. This story is dedicated to my grandmother, Janet Bowman. The next knitting story is by Shustin Usher, or Shustin Lee on Ravelry, and she'll be sharing her story of the trials and tribulations of Fair Isle Knitting. When I first learned to knit from my Swedish mother, knitting was anything but popular, and knitting classes or workshops were unheard of. Luckily, I was fortunate enough that my mother is a descendant of great knitters, and she was always able to guide me through all of my knitting projects. Many years later, in 2002, when knitting was becoming all the rage, I attended my first knitting weekend, where well-known designers and instructors were teaching. The first class I signed up for was Fair Isle Knitting. Now this was something I had tried on my own, but I still needed further instruction. I dreamed of all the gorgeous sweaters I would be able to knit if I could just master this technique. Fantasies of knitting Alice Starmore sweaters were floating around in my head. I arrived on Friday afternoon for the knitting weekend. When I checked in and registered for my classes, it was written on my schedule that the Fair Isle class began at 9 o'clock the next morning. I was so excited to be at this weekend, and I was so looking forward to my classes. I could hardly even sleep that first night. 
The next morning I rose early and got ready. I arrived at the classroom at what I thought would be 20 minutes early. Well, it turned out I was 40 minutes late. Imagine my horror when I realized I had been given the incorrect start time for the class. I could feel my heart beginning to race at my embarrassment, and I shook nervously as I took a seat among the stairs of the instructor and other knitters. This should have been my first clue. The instructor was rather displeased with my entrance, and the opportunity to explain my tardiness did not present itself until the lunch break. Meanwhile, I struggled to catch up. Try catching up in a therial knitting class. I was pretty much lost from the start, but I was determined to make it through because I really wanted to learn those techniques. I wanted to learn those techniques so I could knit those beautiful creations I so often drooled over. I hung in there and finished out the day's class. At the end of the class, the instructor told us that any time we want to learn a new technique, we should knit a small garment, a child sweater. What a great idea. I returned home all excited. I went through all my knitting books and found an adorable pattern for a child's cardigan in Pharaoh. It is called the Primrose Cardigan by Louisa Harding. Perfect. I headed down to my local yarn store and I showed the owner what I wanted to knit. Granted that the sweater and pattern called for a cotton yarn, and she had some worsted weight yarn. But let's make that mercerized cotton yarn. Mercerized cotton is a cotton that is specially treated so the yarn has a shiny, rather slippery quality. Perhaps because I missed the introduction in the Farrell class, I didn't know at the time the traditional fair owl sweaters are knit in 100% Shetland wool, which allows the different strands of yarn to stick to one another in the design pattern. Not realizing this, I was entirely mesmerized by the gorgeous bright colors, and I naively purchased six of them, six different colors, in Stacy Charles' Tacky Cotton Classic. Later on, that slippery mercerized cotton would work against me. This should have been my second clue. I couldn't wait to start. I went home and did everything I was supposed to do. I made enlarged photocopies of the chart, used different colored pencils to color in the chart, and read over my notes. Okay, all ready to start. It starts with the ribbing, and it is in one color. Well, that's certainly easy, and I can do that. Okay. Now on to row one of the chart. I switch to the two colors I need to use on this row. I start knitting across, trying to figure out how I'm supposed to weave the colors and how I'm supposed to hold the yarn. And meanwhile, everything is slipping and it's feeling terribly awkward. I'm trying to also look at the photos in the book that illustrate virile knitting. It seems like hours just to get across that first row, but I get there. Phew! Row two. Row two uses the same two colors. Great. However, it is a purl row. Again, I have to review the techniques for purling in Fair Isle. It feels terribly awkward trying to purl and weave these two different colors. And also, because it is so slippery, everything is just loose. 
After what seems again like hours, I finally get across that row. I'm so happy the next row is a knit row. On row three, I have to drop one of the colors and add a new one. Not a problem. And I know that by looking at the chart, I'll have to pick up that color that I just dropped later on. So I think ahead and think I'm really smart and carry up the color as I make my way up through a few more rows up to row seven. Get to row seven where I will need this color that I originally dropped on row three. But wait a minute. It's not where it's supposed to be. It's at the other end of my work, not at the beginning of this row. Well, I guess that means I just have to cut it and start over. Okay, I'll cut the yarn and bring it over and get across that row. I continue to knit on the sweater on and off, and eventually it dawns on me. The pattern is written so that there are three rows that use two colors, two of the same colors, and then it changes. This means that every time I need the color that I carried up, it's at the opposite end of my work. This should have been my third and final clue. The bigger implication for this is that I have to cut the yarn and I can't carry it up the side edges. It doesn't take long before my little sweater looks like it has a fringe on both edges. After weeks of working on the sweater, I finally finished the back. But now I have to sew in all those loose ends. And this takes me almost as long as it did to knit the thing. I had started the sweater in April, and by August, I realized I was not going to be able to complete the sweater as a Christmas gift. So I put it away and knit a different sweater as the Christmas gift. The cardigan sat for two years until I pulled it out again. I knitted the two fronts with pockets and included all the decreases for the front edges. This was about as much as I could bear between concentrating on the fair isle pattern, alternating knit and purl rows, trying to hold the yarn correctly, while all the time this mercerized cotton is working against me, slipping all over the place. It is about as much as I can take at one time. I put the sweater away yet again, this time for six years. In this span of time, I have twin girls. When they are about four years old, I pull out the cardigan, thinking maybe it's time I finish it. I am not one for UFOs, unfinished objects, and this was the only one lurking about. After doing the two fronts with the decreases in the ferrile pattern, I just knew I would not have enough patience to knit two sleeves, including increases in the fair isle pattern. So I decided to get creative and convert the cardigan into a vest. I sew the fronts to the shoulders of the back, and then I knit ribbing around the arm openings and the neck band and the front bands. I was so proud to have put the finishing touches on this garment. A few months later, I found buttons and sewed them on. Yes, I couldn't believe it. I was finally finished. I washed the vest and blocked it. I then took pictures to post on Ravelry. It was a beautiful spring day, and I took pictures of the vest outdoors. A few evenings later, I was editing the pictures, when something struck me as odd. 
and suddenly realized that the fair isle pattern on the left front did not match up with the pattern on the right front. Pull out the vest and start looking closer. Instead of lining up the buttons so that the bands of color matched up in the fair isle pattern, I had simply put the buttons on where the buttonholes had presented themselves on the front band. I would have to re-sew all the buttons to make it line up properly. Are you kidding me? I couldn't even bear to re-sew them. I folded the vest neatly and put it in the closet. Two years passed by. This spring, I have an evening where I'm getting together with some knitting friends. I don't have anything really social that I can bring with me. It's a mindless knitting project. So, I decided to take the vest with me and re-sew the buttons. In the course of an hour and a half, I re-sew the buttons, and it is really, truly finished. The next morning, I give the vest to my daughters, and they fit into it perfectly. It is the first time that they will have to share a knitted garment. Every time I've knit them something, I've always knit two. They are six now and they understand that there is no way that Mommy is knitting a second one of these. They have been taking turns wearing the vest. It was a long road, and although Alice Starmore's sweaters are not in the near future of my knitting projects, I am happy to report that I have tried my hand at Fair Isle Knitting again, and I have even taken another class with a different instructor, and I'm happy to say that I was right on time for that class. One day, I hope to live my dream of mastering Fair Isle enough to my satisfaction, and maybe even enough to make an Alice Stormer sweater. Our last knitting story today was sent in by Rebecca Dwyer from the UK. And this is her story entitled, The Optimistic Knitter. Knitting teaches us a lot about ourselves. Me, I think I must be an optimist who likes a challenge. I wouldn't have said that about myself before I became a knitter, and before one project in particular, but there's only one other conclusion. About 18 months ago, I sat down with my mother-in-law and we chose a project and some yarn, a cardigan for her, to be knit by me with yarn she bought. She bought the yarn. I'm locked into making this thing. And she's around at a UK size 18. The pattern is an all-over lace cardigan to be made in one piece and the sleeves then added in a cotton-based yarn. We chose an eco-wool. It's nothing like cotton. You can probably see where this is going. Then I got pregnant and spent nine months throwing up. Yep, the whole nine months. Not the time to be working on a cardigan for my mother-in-law. So it languished in a project bag, just the first few rows of the first sleeve completed. I finally had the baby, a little girl, and began thinking about this project, particularly during the night feeds. I wasn't going to knit my baby anything until it was complete, otherwise I would never complete it. And I started work on it in earnest. It went slowly. I decided to do the sleeves first to get the hang of the lace pattern before I started on the main piece. The thing is, I love lace knitting. The yarn is good and the pattern is great. But between the baby and the three-year-old, the night feeds and the nappy changes, I got to thinking about those 400-odd stitches that would make up a row of the body of the cardigan. And I got to looking at the sleeves and the lace pattern. 
and surreptitiously looking at my mother-in-law's figure, and I decided this wasn't going to end well, or ever. I'd had Yisolda's Little Red in the City book for my birthday and was quite keen on the idea of a little designing of my own, so I decided this was the project to begin on. I'd knit it in pieces and the body would be stockinette stitch with a kind of belt of the lace pattern at about the waist or just above. I'm really starting to enjoy this knit, it's going well. Then I get to thinking, I'm an English knitter, the kind who takes her hand right off the needles to do a great big looping arm around to form a stitch. I should learn to knit continental. And I'll do it halfway up the back of the cardigan. So the gauge might change a little, it probably won't show right. Right, actually. I am now a continental knitter as of last Wednesday, and I no longer have a big long loop around, and all that stockinette stitch is going fast and getting me some good practice. So it's going to end really well, right? I believe it is. I was going to wait to write my story until the carding is, is done, but, you know, it's been on the needles for over 18 months now, and maybe there's a, just a touch of panic under the optimism. The cardigan is for my mother-in-law, after all, and I really would like to maintain some family harmony. And I really, really want to knit my baby something. Before she's two. Knitting teaches us a lot about ourselves. Turns out, I'm crazy. I would really like to thank all of the story contributors today who took the time out to record and send in their stories for me to share on this episode. I hope that all of you enjoyed hearing from these knitters as much as I did. It's very fun for me to share these little snippets of knitters' lives with you on the podcast. Although all of the contributors, as well as all of you listening, have very different lives, backgrounds, experiences, and live in completely different areas of the world, we're all united by knitting. And because we have this love of knitting in common, we can all relate to one another. In hearing another knitter's story, you may say to yourself, I think the exact same thing. Or, hey, that's happened to me too. Our common knitting experiences bring us together. So if you listening happen to have a personal knitting story that you would like to share on the podcast, and I know you do, because everybody has a story to share. Please do get in touch. You can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. I would love for you to send me your story. And as I've been offering for the last few episodes, if you send me your story recording, I will in turn send you a personal knitting-related thank you gift. Now, all of you out there, you may be listening right now and saying to yourself, Well, this story stuff is all fine and good, but what about last episode's drawing giveaway? Who won that beautiful Tannis Fiber Arts yarn and the beautiful Knit Local book by Tannis Gray? Well, I won't leave you in suspense any longer. I randomly chose between the drawing entries using the online random number generator, and I'm happy to say that our winner of episode 63's drawing giveaway is Sarah from Canada with the Ravelry ID of Sampras. S-A-M-P-R-A-S. However, I'm supposed to say that. I don't know. 
but that is our winner. Congratulations, Sarah. I have your contact information, so I will be in touch. Now, I do have a new drawing for you to enter for this episode, but this time it's a little different. So for this episode, I'm going to be giving away two very well-known and well-loved book titles. They are Nikki Epstein's Knitting on the Edge and Knitting Beyond the Edge. Now, I'm sure that most of you listening have heard of these books. They've been around for a while, and both of them are in my personal knitting library. I just happen to have two extra copies to give away in this episode. This designer, Nikki Epstein, is probably one of the most creative designers I've ever seen. She comes up with the most amazing things. And these books are great to add to your library because, because they really focus on accessorizing your knits. They're full of really fun stitch patterns. And just reading the title, you'll see there's ribs, ruffles, lace, fringes, flora, points, and picots. In Just Knitting on the Edge, there are 350 decorative borders that you can add to your knits. So I love looking through this book. I'm always inspired. And I'm just amazed by how many different edgings Nikki Epstein can think up. It's unbelievable to me. In the next one, Knitting Beyond the Edge, she just continues upon this theme, but, but she actually shows you how to incorporate these fun edgings and stitch patterns into your knitting. So she shows you how to put them on cuffs and collars, necklines, corners and edges, and also closures. So it's kind of a more practical approach because you can actually see them being put onto the garment. So I highly recommend both of these books and I am excited to be able to give these two books away to one of you listening. But this drawing is going to be a little bit different from the other drawings that I usually host because I want you to do a little something extra this time for me. I want you to leave a comment on my blog under the show notes as you usually do. But this time when you leave a comment on the blog post for episode 64, I'd like you to tell me please what your favorite knitting story is. It could be a knitting story shared on this episode or on any of my previous 63 episodes. So I know that many of you have been listeners for a while and I'd like to know which knitting story particularly interests you. Which one did you laugh at? Which one did you relate to the most? Or which one did you just find the most entertaining? I'd like to know because it'll give me an idea of what types of knitting stories to share in the future. So I know that I have my favorites and I'm sure that you do too. So I look forward to hearing from you and finding out more. So please don't forget to head on over to my blog at nevernotknitting.com and leave a comment and enter to win these two beautiful books by Nikki Epstein. I'll be announcing the winner of this giveaway on my following episode at the end of August. You'll have until August 15th to enter to win. Well, that about wraps up today's episode. Thank you again for joining me. I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode because I'm currently working on a couple of very fun and very exciting new projects. And hopefully by the next time I record, 
I'll be ready to make some announcements and start sharing them with all of you. So until next time, happy knitting! She won't even do the dishes The house plants, they're all dead Yeah, her needles are a-clickin' From morning until she goes to bed She won't take the time to brush her teeth Let's not even talk about her hair if it isn't about knitting, she just doesn't really care. She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Nobody has clean laundry No pants, no shirts, no underwear But they have closets full of sweaters And more socks than they could ever wear There's yarn in the fridge In the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry even in the washer and dryer That's why she can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Call 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.